think, you know, there's a tendency to start auditioning for a job when that job becomes available, right? So you, you see that, you know, this team or this organization has posted a job opening and you're like, well, now I need to do what I can to put myself in a position to get that job. But to your point, that, that needs to happen far before that job opportunity is ever posted publicly somewhere. You're, you're auditioning for your next job, whether you know it or not. Hey, fellow marketers, welcome to another episode of the Marketing Careers Podcast presented by themarketinghelp.co. Now, quick welcome to our recent TMH community members that have joined, plus our new TMH Plus members, uh, Julia, Roy, Gina. Now, these are marketers that have taken a big step in managing their marketing careers, and you can join them and see what resources they're accessing and leveraging right now by going to themarketinghelp.co forward slash membership. Okay, so... The opening clip you heard for this episode was from Tim Clark. He's the SVP and Chief Digital Officer at NASCAR. Yes, that NASCAR. And Tim was sharing in that clip the importance of networking uh, and the importance of your your professional brand when seeking a career path in sports marketing. Now, in this episode, Tim will provide tons of inspiration for anybody seeking to get into a sports marketing role, whether that's entry level, manager level, or above. He shares his journey from a dot-com brand site to an e-commerce agency and how he leveraged self-advocacy, not self-promotion, to land his role at NASCAR. And Tim also shares some insights on what he's looking for in his open marketing roles he has currently at NASCAR. Yes, Tim is hiring, and this could be your opportunity to get your start in a career in sports marketing. So let's hear it from NASCAR's SVP and Chief Digital Officer, Tim Clark. Tim, well, welcome to the episode. Thanks, Eric. It's really, uh, really nice to meet you. Yes, yes. Great to catch up. I'm glad to have you on the episode. A lot to cover here because you represent, I think, a very um, a very popular uh, career path for marketers, and that's tied to the sporting industry or sports in general, but we'll get into that. But I want to start first this section of the episode just talking more about your career path, knowing that we have an audience uh, full of marketers looking to you know, either decide where they start or get some tips along the way because they may be in a marketing role currently. So let's get to the beginning here. How did you end up in a path in marketing? And I'll go through all your positions here, but was it something you woke up uh, in elementary school knowing you wanted to do, or was it something that you kind of tripped over uh, after college? So uh, it, oddly enough, it is something from elementary school, um, and and people always think I'm I'm joking when I say that. But you know, one of one of my earliest memories was you know I I really had two two loves when I was a kid. One of them was sports, and the other one was television commercials. And and I'm, I'm being completely serious. I, I I remember you know any time that I was around family or whatever the case may be, I was I was reciting commercials verbatim. I was so entertained by them. And I, you know, once I became old enough to realize that, that that entertainment was designed to influence someone or sell someone something or or whatever the case may be, I was, uh, I, I, I couldn't have been more infatuated by that. So I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do, but I did know that that was the, the, the the category or the path. Nice. And, uh, you know, oddly enough, I have a very similar path as well, where I would just draw, uh, print ads on on paper during church just to kill time yeah anyway here we are um so so based on my research here your first you know call it real job in marketing uh was with circuit city uh as a print buyer so you're doing traditional marketing yeah it was it was all very and my my foray into that was being the person that was basically um currying ads to newspaper advertisers uh of which circuit city was one so um you know that that instantly ages me where it was like well why couldn't you just email that um well that wasn't an option so uh so i'm i'm old enough to to have that as my kind of entry point into the marketing and media world and you went to Circuit City. I guess you had an entry point there in the the marketing department at some level, and then you were there for a couple of years. So, what was the, what was it like to to advance in different roles at Circuit City? Because again, this was at the advent of when digital became a thing. Yeah, yeah. I I I, I was very naive in my career, um, certainly at the outset. Um, you know, I I thought 
um, you know, that the way that careers worked was that you got a job and you showed up every day and you worked really hard and you waited for someone to notice you. And then they were going to come along and tap you on the shoulder and say, Hey, now you're going to do this job. And, and that was just going to continue kind of into perpetuity until you retire. Um, so I would say the, the early part of my career was just that it was just me showing up and, and trying to work really hard, um, without a really clear path, if I'm being honest. I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't necessarily know what my goal for my next role was going to be or, you know, um, who I needed to align myself to. I certainly didn't know the value of a, of a network. Um, and so I was, I was fortunate to have managers and mentors that, that kind of looked out for me and. Once I started to, to to evolve just a little bit, just based on on sheer effort and hard work, then it started to become apparent to me of um, you know here, here's how you can mature in your career. How here's how you can become more valuable to your to your organization, to your managers, and 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 from there, um, that's when my my you know career started to to evolve quite a bit more rapidly, and then that just happened to to kind of coincide with. E-commerce and and the internet and the digital space really starting to evolve. So um, we'll call it a, a, a little bit of uh, lucky and good. Got it. Lucky and good. Good combination. Um, so Circuit City, uh, I think they went out of business, and then that and- wasn't my fault, Eric. <laughs> we weren't selling enough circuits because um, <laughs> most people don't even know what Circuit City was. But uh, right anyway. So you go from Circuit City to look like in-house role, snag a job. Now, the question here is because what I'm curious about, when marketers go from job to job, what I like to look at is the the difference between going from in-house to agency or agency to in-house or in-house to in-house, the path. And your path went from Circuit City to snag a job. Was that because you woke up one day saying, I wanted to go work for a, a, a job search uh, website, or was it just an opportunity that that was good enough to to fill time and get a paycheck? What was the the reasoning for going to Snagger Job? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. Honestly, the the there was a couple of things, right? Um, first of all, I mean, back to the kind of the the demise of of Circuit City. I, I had gotten to the point where you know we collectively, as the digital group and the e commerce group, had had some success almost by accident. I mean, we we were. I think in many ways ahead of the curve from a from a retail e-commerce standpoint. The first year that we stood up kind of full service, full twelve month e-commerce, we did a billion dollars in online sales, um, and that was early two thousands. Um, and I think what what ended up happening is as quickly as we could make that money in the e-commerce space, they were reinvesting it and building more brick and mortar locations. And oh. and and while while very junior in my career, I, I realized that that wasn't going to end well. So I, I started looking at other opportunities, and like we talked about at that point, I was I was somewhat conscious of of my career path and development, and knowing that that I had spent you know essentially a full ten years in a in a B to C role, um, the idea of going to a B to B marketing role really appealed to me because I thought it was a a good opportunity with a really good company. Um, and be just a really good opportunity for me to to kind of expand my, you know, my my resume, my skill set, uh, all of those things. So, so I think that was was really the appeal of that that snag a job position. And the day to day there was was mostly doing what? So it was a lot of of marketing to potential clients. So what what snag a job uh, that business model was essentially, you know, like a, a a career builder or a monster, but for hourly roles. So you know, think C stores, restaurants, um, QSRs, that that sort of thing. So, you know, the the job of of the sales team at Snag a Job was to to go find franchise owners or uh, or store owners um, to list their positions on Snag a Job. So, so my job was really from a marketing perspective to help, um, you know, identify new clients and and prospects and 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 ways that they could work with Snag a Job. Got it. So, so at Snag a Job, for whatever reason, you get the call, or uh, you realize one day that hey, there's an opportunity for me to go join an e-commerce house, or or however you would describe it at the time. But tell me how you got. I mean, I think I remember how you got into GSI Commerce because that's again where we met. But how did you go from Snag a Job and realize it was time to move uh, northward to go work for GSI? So I, I I'm not 
I'm not saying this just to to suck up to the to the host of of this show, but the the uh, and I've said this before. The pivotal moment in my career was in your office, and and the reason I say that is, you know, I I had some some friends and former colleagues that that had uh, had gone to work at, at GSI um, and heard a little bit about it, and I was like, wait, there's there's a job in e-commerce and in sports. Like I it, it just it it was not on my radar at all. Uh, so I remember very clearly coming up and and having you know a, a series of meetings, including the one with you. And I remember the timing of it was was coincidentally kind of around this period of time because we were talking about uh, the the opportunities that that GSI was was investigating around hot market for Super Bowl. Yeah. And I remember it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was like, wait a minute, the job that this guy is describing is to work in e-commerce in the digital industry, of which I, I, you know. That is is what I do. That's my wheelhouse. But around sports, uh, I mean, I was at that point. You could have offered me anything, and I would have started the <laughs> next day. So uh, I, it was the best decision I, I ever made, and and that was it, that was every bit the the turning point of my career um, that that I said it was. And, and it's an interesting point there because I think, like you, you know, me also in my career, wanting if I wrote something down, you know, twenty years ago. It was probably working in sports in some capacity. Was fortunate enough to get the job at GSI, which was eventually acquired by eBay. But the role there, the role that we uh, worked in together, was e-commerce for the the sports brands, the major sports leagues, and sport retailers. So we lived, eat, breathe, drank, um, <laughs> skews. And, and margins and hot markets and all those things. What an education. Um, but the, the quick side note here is for anybody thinking about a, a path in sports, and I'm, we'll get into this after the break a little bit more, but it isn't necessarily that you only have to go work for the team, but you can go work for an agency that may have a team as a client. And when you think about the structure and what we worked in together, that was it. We were, I mean, we just happened to have all of our clients on our book of business were all sports leagues and sports retailers. So that, again, a path for someone to consider if you're looking to go sports marketing. All right. So you're there for a couple of years. We aged probably five years from being there. <laughs> um, aged prematurely being there. Um, and then you decide to make a move and talk about the, the next stop that you made and how you got there. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, I remember you know, at some point in my tenure at GSI, um, part of my, you know, consideration set per se was, you know, I, I think I could parlay this into a job with, with one of the leagues because the, the leagues were, were obviously our, our, our biggest clients. Um, if I'm being honest and, you know, I, I've, I've said this internally, so there, it's no secret. If, if I were, were ranking them in my head, NASCAR would have been probably last of, of all of those leagues. You know, I, I didn't grow up a, a huge NASCAR fan. Um, but, you know, what, what happened, um, you know, it's funny the way the universe works. What, what was happening in 2011 and 12 was at the time NASCAR's digital business was with Turner Sports. So they operated the, the digital platforms for, for NASCAR, for NCAA, for, for PGA Tour. Um, and we, of course, worked with them uh, very closely. So, you know, we, we had some, some common relationships both with Turner and with NASCAR. So as the conversations were, were happening, unbeknownst to me, between Turner and NASCAR of, of NASCAR bringing that digital business back in-house, you know, the deal is done. And now it's NASCAR is 11, 10 months away from having to launch on their own stack with zero digital employees. Um, so I, I had come to Charlotte uh, to meet with with the NASCAR team as as we did at least once a quarter, if if not more often. Um, and they, you know, kind of mentioned the opportunity, and you know, I thought a lot about it. And and honestly, the 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 draw to me was where else would I ever find an opportunity in a major sporting property to build the digital business literally from the ground up, right? Um, so it was it was um, it was an incredibly unique opportunity, um, and and that that's that's what won me over. So I joined in July of 2012, and we launched in January of 13. 
Wow. Now the uh, the path to NASCAR because I remember when we were working at at, at GSI, uh, you would you were on that path. I mean, you talk about someone who's following a a marketing career path. You were doing that because you wanted to end up, and you were trying to identify other other paths in sports marketing for you. Because I remember you networking uh, pretty aggressively, just trying to think about who do I know that knows somebody that knows somebody. Uh, to make an introduction to get a conversation so you were working that pretty hard was there any sort of rhyme reason process that you established or or what was the method you followed to get because you were getting conversations with some pretty pretty big names um was there any any process that you followed that you could share yeah i I mean i think what it's interesting to think about that because if you go back to what what i what i told you earlier that that you know when i came to work for for gsi and to work for you that was a dream job. And, and it, it's not that, that it's not that it ceased to be a dream job. It's that it opened my eyes to even more possibilities. And, and it's, you know, then you want more, right. You start getting greedy and, and you, you, you get more aggressive. So I got just enough of, of a taste at, at GSI of making sports a career. And, and, and of course, then I wanted more. Um, and so I, I, I started to network more aggressively, which it is another thing that that from a career perspective, you know, if if you had the rewind button and you could do things over again, I did not understand nor appreciate the value of of networking. Um, you know, I, and I I remember people talking about it, and and I remember mentors uh, stressing the importance of it, and I just didn't get it. Um, but it it when it was almost a means to an end, then I got it because. You know, and, and that's why I talk about the, the rewind button. At that point, I needed it and I didn't have it. So I had to get even more aggressive at, at kind of building my, my network because I realized that that was a necessary component of where I wanted to be. And it was part just sending emails, gathering emails, asking for exploratory conversations, you know, th- those sorts of things is what, you know, plus, because again, remember, like you're saying, you had the backdrop of, you know, what you were talking about. Because you were working in sports already, so you had some sort of commonality between who you were talking to. Uh, was there anything you remember in, in those conversations, maybe including the one with NASCAR, where it was, uh, you know, that that kind of light bulb went off that said, uh, "I'm doing the right thing here" when it comes to networking. So I think, uh, oddly enough, it was with NASCAR because if you go back to those conversations of when NASCAR was looking to build out their team. The conversations that were happening, again, unbeknownst to me, was NASCAR was asking around, hey, who in this space should we look at? Mm-hmm. And, and my name came up a couple of times. And, and I heard that. I mean, I, I had been in, in my role here for probably two or three years before I ever heard that. So that helped me along the way without me even being aware that it helped me along the way. So, you know, I, I think, I think taking that, that time and the effort and, and it's, you know, you, you, you try to convey advice the best you can. And it, and it's, it's rarely as prescriptive as, as you may think it is, but it's, it's the little things, right. It's, you know, if I would go to meetings at NFL and eight people from NFL would be in the meeting, I would collect business cards and I would follow up with all eight of them. And I would do my best to, Hey, I'm going to be in New York next week. I've got, you know, time in the morning, you want to grab coffee or, you know, if something relevant would happen in the NFL business, I'd send a note just Hey, congrats on this. Saw this announcement. Um, you know, if, if you're in town for a meeting and there's a group going to lunch or a group going to dinner, I would always try to participate in one of those. And it's, you know, those aren't, you know, scientific, uh, you, you know, textbook methods, right? But it's, it's just trying to take advantage of, of every opportunity that, that, that I came in contact with. And I think that's something that most people overlook now because I think marketers, at least those that are interested in developing a career, uh, are lazy. Because I think what has happened, because back then it was a little bit different than it is now with the advent of LinkedIn and how powerful that is. Plus, everyone's virtual. Plus, um, you know, the power of that in face-to-face coffee with that uh, the connection is uh, priceless. You can still do it now to some degree, but uh, I think the message here is, you know, you got to work for it. Um, But the other message from my perspective, watching you go through that and build those relationships was if you didn't do that, then the networking that you would have executed would have maybe fallen flat or not been as effective because 
the thing that you said, I want everyone to understand and listen, listen to is your name came up when they were looking for talent. And it's a statement I say all the time is talent finds opportunity, opportunity finds talent. And the key point there is because you're doing your job uh, and you're doing it well and you care that you do it well. And when you do that, opportunities find you. So that's that's great. Yeah. So, yeah. And, and the, the other thing I would say, Eric, is I think, you know, there's a tendency to start auditioning for a job when that job becomes available. Right. So you you see that, you know, this team or this organization has posted a job opening and you're like, well, now I need to do what I can to put myself in a position to get that job. But to your point, that that needs to happen far before that job opportunity is ever posted publicly somewhere. You're, you're auditioning for your next job, whether you know it or not. Nice. I like that. Now, something that I also noticed from your background and your experience is that, you know, which is not, it's not common in marketers. And that's the tenure at each of your stops has been a couple of years. Uh, you know, and I think, you know, when I would hire people, it'd be something I'd look at is how long were they at different stops along the way, especially when it came to, to senior level management positions. But clearly there's something that you have here in terms of a recipe, or maybe it's the 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 focus and mentality of having a plan to go want to work somewhere. But what's the advice you give to somebody that um around the value of staying someplace longer than 18 months? Yeah, I, I think. The word that I always come back to is 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 advocate and and being an advocate for yourself. Um, you know, I think for for any organization that that I've worked for, my role towards the end of that that tenure versus what it was at the beginning are drastically different. Um, and I think the way that happens is is you have to be an advocate for yourself. And I think one of the most challenging things in a professional environment is towing that line between being an advocate for yourself and being self-promotional. Mm-hmm. Because I think if you you go over that line and become self-promotional, it's a huge turnoff. But if you can be an advocate for yourself and put yourself in the positions where, hey, I, you know, we're we're exploring esports. I I'd like to be involved in that or, you know, sports betting or or whatever these things are, I I, I really like the idea of advocating for yourself because I think you you know as you become a, a manager and a leader, you start to realize that that things are evolving so quickly. You know your your thought process on, oh man, we, we've got to get into X, Y, or Z, and that's going to require re- resources, and we're going to have to source this talent. If you can take someone internally that you trust and and can depend on, and they're willing to to kind of throw in a, an extra set of hands, especially at the outset of of things like that. It, it is extraordinarily valuable. So I, I think that's what what has led to, you know, me spending a, a significant amount of time at, at most of the places that I've worked because of that advocacy to say, hey, I know you hired me to do this, and I still want to focus on this, but I also wouldn't mind spending some some extra time focusing on, you know, a, a, another thing or two other things. And it's funny because when I talk to uh, members of the marketing hub or clients or uh, students or, or uh, direct reports I've had years ago, and they, they come to me asking for advice when it comes to looking for a marketing job, 90% of the time, the reason that they're looking for another job is because they're just looking for that, a job. They're not looking for a role. They're not like, right. looking to establish a career path. They're looking for a paycheck. And why should we be surprised if we're only there for four months or eight months when uh, we just took it because it sounded sexy and uh, I had to pay off a new lease of a car that I just purchased. And, and sure, you may have wanted to do the role and you had the skills, but you didn't care to look into the management. You didn't care to look into the other opportunities where in your case, you're saying, hey, there are some dots that are connecting here. And because of that, uh, once you get into a role, it isn't necessarily a, a linear path. It's got a, a bunch of different uh, permutations to it. If if you know how to look for it and advocacy, definitely a big piece of that. So in this section, looking back on your career path, again, from back when there was no internet to now, when you uh, created the solution to put NASCAR on the internet, uh, what has been your most memorable career moment so far? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I, I think the, the one that stands out and maybe because there's some degree of recency bias around it, mm-hmm. um, you know, we when we went into the the pandemic, 
Um, you know, we, we had a relationship with an esports company and a, and a simulation company called iRacing. Um, and I mean, literally the, the meeting that, that we were having internally to talk about suspending the season. And, you know, remember this is going through this crazy two or three period of day period of time where it was, you know, NBA was pulling players off the court in the middle of games, um, you know, events in real time. I mean, we, we sat in the conference room here on a, a Thursday and Friday and it was following social media. Um, PGA tour just canceled the mat or PGA tour was playing it at, uh, they were hosting the players at the time mm-hmm. they suspended that tournament. Then they announced that the masters was going to be postponed. I mean, this is all happening in real time. And, and we were supposed to start a race weekend in the next 36 hours. Um, in the, in the midst of those conversations to, to, you know, suspend the, the season because of COVID, we also started kind of the text thread around moving the season into a virtual environment through iRacing. Um, and so I, th- I think being able to pivot that quickly in the middle of the circumstances that you could never in a million years plan for. Um, and then eight days later, you know, we broadcast the, the highest rated esports broadcast in U.S. television history. Um, it was, that was a, a pretty crazy ride. I mean, I can't even imagine the tension in that room, just trying to, uh, not just react, but be proactive because you've got, and something I learned working in the NASCAR business is that you have that base of passionate fans that they want a product. They want a, a good product out there on the racetrack and they're willing to do whatever it takes to get there. And you gave them the means to do that, which is great. Um, good stuff. So, so this section here, good, good, uh, dive into your career path. We're going to take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll dive more into the role, your team and what you're doing there at NASCAR. Hey there. I want to let you know about a new page we launched on the marketinghelp.co and we built it to address one of the most common questions we get from our members. And that's around finding your next marketing job because the worst place to start your job search is with the job search. And that's the biggest flaw of most marketers today. So we create a hub just focused on helping marketers successfully complete every stage of the marketing job search uh, through courses. Now, go to the marketinghelp.co forward slash courses, and you'll see there's a selection of courses, workshops, and boot camps, uh, all the way from creating the job search strategy, which is very important, uh, to acing your interviews. Uh, We have a nice resource, uh, the complete marketing interview questions guide, which a lot of our members are raving about. So you definitely want to check that course out. Now, the best part is we created learning environments that we know are going to meet the needs of your schedule, but also your budget. So we've got self-guided courses, we've got on-demand courses, and we've even got small cohort expert-led workshops and boot camps. So stop getting frustrated when you're not getting any responses. Start being successful in your marketing job search. Get some control. Go to the marketinghelp.co forward slash courses. Check it out. Now let's get back to the episode dive a little bit deeper into your day-to-day. So when you think about, you know, whether it's Monday through Friday, Sunday through Sunday, however it is that you're plugged into your work, what's a work week look like when you are the head of digital for NASCAR? Yeah. I mean, a lot of that, that week is, is dictated as you might imagine by what happens on the track that weekend. Um, You know, that that's going to have a, a pretty significant impact on on our content and our messaging and, and our response and reaction. But, you know, I, I think we purposely try to toe the line or, or keep the balance between what's planned and what's reacted to. Um, you know, I think there's, there's some degree of uniformity in, in terms of what has to happen on a, on a day-to-day week to week basis. But, you know, a lot of that is, is, um, is being flexible enough to, to react to what's happening around us. Um, and, and a lot of that is just based on um, surrounding yourself with with people that are really good at at their jobs and and their responsibilities and their roles and giving them the flexibility to to do just that. Um, you know, and your attention is going to have to go where it's needed. Quite frankly, um, you know, if, if you had set out and said, "Here are the five things I need to accomplish this week," and one of them is on fire, and and numbers four and five are are you know, in a, in a pretty decent spot, well, you better get to where the fire is pretty quickly and, and put as much attention as, as you can. And then I think the other thing that, that I've found that kind of dictates my day-to-day is, is being present. Um, we all have to multitask to some degree, but, you know, 
if if your your initial response is is met with kind of half paying attention, that other half is going to come from somewhere, and, yeah. and it may be a, a week later, or a month later, or a day later. But you know, the the value of of being completely present in those moments is has an enormous impact on my day to day. And you go uh, to your team. How many people are you managing on your team? So I have six uh, that, that report directly to me. The broader team is in the neighborhood of 150 to 160. Oh, uh, meaning that you're part of a team of 160. Correct. Got it. And the six that report to you are, you split up their responsibilities are doing what? So you've got one that is responsible for gaming and esports. Um, you've got one that is responsible for essentially the, the entirety of the digital business, both the, the front end user experience, so the, the back end technology and, um, and what that product stack looks like. Uh, you've got one that is responsible specifically for uh, content, whether that be digital, social, editorial, uh, video production uh, and the like. You've got one that is responsible for sports betting. Um, you've got one that is responsible for, uh, entertain our entertainment business. So how we're, we're able to, to become integrated into television movies, uh, you know, con- original content development. Um, and then one that is, is handling more of the administrative tasks on a, on a day-to-day week to week basis. Interesting. And, and I have to imagine those listening are probably saying, I want that job to be the person who's. In, in charge of or overseeing uh, two that stand out to me is definitely the esports purview, but also the sports betting purview. So my question is, how long did it take you to fill those positions? Because I'm sure as we put job descriptions out there, they were being flooded with with candidates. Yeah. So what's what's interesting about both of them is they both followed the same tra- trajectory, and that trajectory is as those industries started to evolve. We filled them with internal candidates and back to that idea of, of being an advocate. That's what both of those individuals had in common that, hey, I, sports betting is, is here. You know, it's, 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 it's going to be a big part of, of a league business. And, and I would like to take a stab at that. And nice. what, what happened in, in both of those cases is those individuals, rightfully so, grew at the right time in a very popular um, you know, industry. And were were snapped up by by companies that that paid them a lot of money for their expertise and a very very um, you know young and, and thriving industry. Then we 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 then backfilled them with with people that that had uh, had more experience, kind of the traditional experience, would, which you would call it in in those two segments. So to your point, we we were you know it was a, a very competitive hiring environment. But we were seeing the the kind of the other side, right? We we saw both sides of that scenario play out, where someone who had advocated for themselves and, and taken advantage of of a you know a really big growth opportunity left the organization, and then we we had to kind of fight through that, um, you know that that battle on the hiring side. Interesting, um, but I love how the the two of the the two of them followed that advocacy for themselves to get them into the consideration set, but then probably did something to wow you to say, no, I really am into this. And here's an example of something I could do in the role. Um, And when you think of, you know, in your role, a manager of marketers um, and talk to the other managers, marketers out there that are listening, you know, a probably wondering, uh, you know, how do I, how do I become a chief digital officer at a sporting league? But what's the t- what's the tip you can give them to keep harmony across? Think about that. Marketers are different, right? They're all challenged to hit certain goals and KPIs, but they're also forced. Force is a strong word, but encouraged to work closely with each other. So, what is your tip from above that says here are some things you need to do to make sure that your marketing team is working in harmony? Yeah, you know, you mentioned LinkedIn before, and I I, I have a, a colleague that that has made this point that I think is a phenomenal one. If you think about your job internally through the lens of how someone externally is looking at your LinkedIn profile. You have these beats and, and whether those are quarterly, whether they're monthly, whether they're every, every six weeks, whatever the case may be, you're telling this story to the rest of the world via LinkedIn of, of what you, you are doing in your professional capacity. What happens in between those beats 
is is the more tactical getting stuff done. But the more you can you can make public or or make some noise or um, you know talk about what those those bigger beats are, it gives you the the air cover to do the rest. And I think that is. Number one, I think that's a really smart assessment of 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 the way any career works. But I also think it's great advice in terms of that cross functional work. You, you need to do those things that gives your your manager, your your company, your coworkers, your colleagues, the the industry of which you work in, you know, some degree of oh, I, I get what they're doing and and I get the success that they're having. And then you can almost kind of, you know, go back under uh, under the, the the dark of night and get done the things that you really need to get done. Those things are the ones that make those those bigger beats possible. Mm. And and I think if if you can kind of do that collaboratively, you know, almost saying the quiet part out loud, right? Hey, let's let's go get some wins on the board, make everybody feel better, and then we can come back here and and start working on the tactical execution of things that 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 really need to get done because those are the things that keep the lights on. Yeah, I like it because the small wins, you know, keep teams organized and quite frankly, motivated. Uh, but I think the toughest part of a marketing manager is, is trying to identify what they are because they have to matter to everybody at some level and following through on the celebration of those wins on the board. Because uh, if, you're, if you're not feeling that, that doesn't feel connected, then you're losing one or two. And if you lost one or two, then uh, you know, then you may have lost the team. So yeah, uh, good insights there. Now, obviously the biggest question that our audience is thinking right now is, okay, so I'm in an agency or I just graduated college or I hate my role working for pharma. I want to get in sports because I'm a huge sports fan. What is the, the, the tip, the advice you would give to somebody out there who's saying, I want a path in, mar- in, in sports marketing, what do you what do you tell them? Where should they start? Yeah, I I think you know the the answer to that question now relative to when you or I were were trying to get into sports is much easier. Um, and I I think the appeal um, of of sports or or those in sports companies and sports hiring from outside of sports is higher than it's ever been because I think you know it it's funny I I. Um, I've heard a couple of times that working in sports is cheating. Like you're, you're cheating off of like the, the degree of, of passion that fans have for sports. And I think that that's probably true to a certain extent, right? I mean, there's, there's not, if you're, if you're selling carpet for a living, people aren't willingly going out and buying jerseys and hats for, for the carpet company. So, you know, there's a degree of fandom in sports that, that gives us a, a little bit of an advantage, but there's a, there's a really big appeal within sports to get perspectives from outside of sports. And that doesn't mean, you know, I have 10 years of experience doing, you know, marketing in pharma or, uh, or in retail or whatever the case may be. It, it, it doesn't have to be that, that degree. I, I would say in many cases, the, the idea of finding someone that's in that, you know, one to five years of experience the way that these industries evolve, I mean, that that's almost more desirable. So I think the opportunities are there. Um, you know, I, I think you you have to be confident enough to not think that. Well, I don't have experience in sports. That's that's going to be a, a disqualifier. It, it's not. I think, in, again, in many ways, it, it it will actually help. I think you have to to be cognizant of your storytelling. So, you know, how can you take this? this flat piece of paper that is your resume and, and make it a little bit more dynamic through LinkedIn and then make it even more dynamic in the way that when you get into that room or on that video conference, that you can bring it to life a little bit and articulate how you can take the things that you are working on now and, and translate them into, into the, the sports role. Um, because the, the, again, the desire on, on the hiring side is, is most certainly there. And before I get into your specific hiring methodologies, the, the one thought here in terms of a path in, in sports, I think back to all the people we work with at GSI and, and the, on, the, on the business side, and even on the marketing side to some degree, and you follow their, you know, from where they all started, English majors, uh, CPAs, finance, and some of them now that are running divisions of major league soccer teams and or you know, deep, deeply entrenched into the fanatics conundrum or ecosystem, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 
where all it takes, like you said, is that conversation to show somebody that here you, you can transfer value into the position regardless of where you're starting from. Because I think a lot of people stop thinking about it when they feel like, oh, no, I need to have five years of experience working for X or Y. Listen, a passion for sports or even having played sports could be all you need to get your shot. Um, right. And then the second thing is what we talked about earlier is don't necessarily think you have to go right to NASCAR to get a job at NASCAR. Uh, maybe go work for a partner of NASCAR um, like like you were doing. Basically work for a vendor or a partner for that league or that company. And that could be a way to show an audition for the roles that aren't open yet or could be open. Um, but great examples that you were giving there. So when you think about the roles, you know, for someone who wants to get a role with NASCAR, first of all, are you hiring for roles currently? We are. Um, and I'm, I'm more than happy to give a, a, a shame, shameless plug. So uh, the, the quickest path is, is careers.nascar.com. And, and there are actually quite a few positions and more on the way. Um, we're, we're very much in growth mode. So there are a lot of opportunities um, both with within my division and and you know throughout the organization. So um, anyone that's listening, please go there and and certainly please feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, and and I'm I'm happy to to provide some some counsel there. And we'll do some uh, link sharing in the show notes. But so let's take one of these roles that you have in your team. What, what are some of the skills you're looking for specifically in marketing? Yeah. So so there's there's a couple that that are specifically around very nuanced places where we're engaging fans. And, you know, I'll, I'll use I'll use social media and kind of the extended social media uh, as an example. You know, three years ago, probably even two years ago, we were hiring social media professionals uh, across the, you know, the the entirety of the social media ecosystem. Right. You're you're going to do Twitter and you're going to do Instagram and you're going to do a little bit of YouTube. And, and as our ability to engage fans has evolved, that is very different now. I mean, your ability and your audience and your content are very, very different on, on one of those platforms versus the other. You know, the, the content and the engagement that we have as a brand and as a league uh, on TikTok is, is very different than it is on Twitter or Facebook. Because the audiences are different, and and so you, you you have to have that different evolution. We launched last year on a platform called Discord, and and that's a perfect example of requiring a kind of a unique set of skills. So, you know, a lot of the roles that we have posted today that we're trying to hire are based on your ability to to curate content and uh, and engage a community on their terms. Um, I think one of the lessons we've learned across marketing and, and content is, you know, we used to evaluate success and failure specifically off of scale. And, and that's not, that's not the way it, it, that's not the lens in which we view it through anymore. It's, it's much more on engaging fans and consumers on their terms. So a, a lot of the roles that we have open today are, are just based on that. Nice. Now what's the title for some of these roles? So we've got associate producer roles, we've got content community manager roles, we've got social media manager roles. Um, you know, we we've got um, we've got coordinator roles that that are are just kind of across the entirety of digital media. Um, yeah, I, I, I mean, there's there are there are a lot. There's a lot, and and that's a that's a good that's a good situation to be in. But it's also, I mean, as you know, as a in a, in a hiring position. You need to get those right, and and yeah. so again, um, your ability as a marketer to to tell your story effectively is 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 what's going to lead to some success. Now, these remote roles are must be located in North Carolina or Florida. Yeah, so the majority of the roles that that are open, um, you know, specifically within within my organizational structure right now are are in Charlotte. Uh, mm -hmm. you know, the the media, um, content, uh, marketing roles. Almost all of them are based in Charlotte, okay. um, and right now we're we're flexible on on work environments, as I think most uh, most are. Um, I mean, it's just it's it's the new norm, right? I mean, you, you're finding you're finding that that having very strict rules and guidelines on on where your work is executed from is is quickly becoming a thing of the past. Well, I mean, hybrid marketing teams was actually an episode we did uh, uh, before. 
because it's becoming and hybrid doesn't have to mean a hundred percent at home, but there are some situations where for one or two or three things, you may need to go physically be somewhere. Uh, but anyway, so uh, that's a whole other episode you can check out. Uh, but the question I had is for the role that you're hiring for, and this is almost like insider tip information. What is someone going to do? Because you talked about elaborating on a resume and LinkedIn and being able to tell a story, but let's go a level deeper and say, if somebody wants to impress you and somebody wants to be a, lo- a top level candidate in the top five choices, what what do you expect them to do when applying for one of your roles? What's the thing that they're going to do to get your attention? So I I, I think what has has always struck me is is doing the 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 tiniest bit of research. Um, <laughs> You know, and and I'm not expecting anyone to become a, a NASCAR ex- expert overnight. And I certainly wouldn't want someone to, you know, a- almost um, insinuate that they're a huge NASCAR fan if that's not the truth. But but doing a little bit of of research, I mean, I, I've I've had conversations with uh, with with potential candidates uh, that, you know, this is the Friday before the Daytona 500. And, and they're reaching out with, with, first of all, reaching out that weekend is probably a mistake anyway, right. but, but with no kind of acknowledgement of what's happening or, you know, we'll, we'll have an interview the, the Monday after a big race and, and there's no acknowledgement of, of that race occurring or who won or anything like that. And, and I don't, I mean, again, I don't want someone to pretend to be who they're not. But but showing me that you've you've paid attention at least a little bit into into the role or the position or the company um, in which you're 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 claiming to want to come to work for really goes a long way. And it's you know in a lot of ways I say that out loud. And I'm like, man, the bar is really set low. But but I I I think that that it's I think that that's true. And and I, as difficult as that is to acknowledge out loud, you know. You as a as a marketer and a and a candidate and and someone who is looking to grow and evolve their career, you know the thing I always come back to is it's not that hard to to be a little bit of head and shoulders above the rest. You know your your degree of effort. We we are not talking about you know seismic shifts in in anything. You know you you, you think about the common sense factor. Well, I'm going to interview with someone at NASCAR on Monday. There's a NASCAR race on Sunday. Maybe I should check and see what happened in that race and who won and, and acknowledge it in the conversation. You know, is as straightforward and simple as that sounds, I would say that it's it's probably, you know, probably does not happen as often as you might think that it would. You're hundred percent correct because, you know, and it's why I feel you hit the nail on the head. The bar is so low to stand out. And it, it's not just in sports, which again makes it almost even easier because there's so much happening in terms of events or fodder for conversation that if you just do the the slightest amount of research, you can, again, not fake it, but you can actually ask some very pointed questions. Now, do you favor, would you favor if someone were to send you a video message versus a, a standard resume or give you some sort of connection with personality before the paper comes across your desk? And that's a really good question. Um, I like the idea of the effort associated with the video, but I, I also know that, you know, it's, it's just like anything else, right? The, the tone in a, a voicemail or the tone in a text message or the tone in, you know, any of these mediums can, can come across maybe different than, than you intended. So while I like the idea behind a video message, I also think that, you know, potentially the awkwardness of having to communicate in, in that way may come off in a, in a, you know, in, in an un, unintended um, manner. So I, you know, but, but I do think <clears throat> any sort of, of follow-up written or, or otherwise is, is, is definitely important. Right. Just follow up at all. is, is <laughs> Right. A good idea. Um, got it. Okay. So, so good stuff here. Uh, a, a great peek into not just the world of sports marketing, how to get there, your specific path there. Um, it sounds like the types of roles that fall within, and I'm, I'm sure it's similar across all the leagues, just because of how uh, tangible and connected leagues have become over the last, in some cases, accelerated because of the, the pandemic. Um, plus, give us some insight 
or are you giving insight to the roles that exist in NASCAR? So if anybody wants to connect with you, just to reiterate work, where, where's the best place for our audience to connect with you? Yeah, I think, um, I think LinkedIn is, is probably the best. Um, I, I, you know, you mentioned it and we talked about it a couple of times. I'm, I'm a huge fan of, of that platform. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, um, it, it has really made things easier on people from a career development standpoint and, and from a networking standpoint. So um, I am I am uh, always happy to connect with with people and have conversations via LinkedIn. Um, Twitter is is uh, is is always an interesting conversational um, uh, platform. But uh, but but yeah, I I think um, I, I think. I think LinkedIn is probably top and, and look, I'm happy to share my email. It's, it's T Clark at NASCAR.com. Uh, feel free to shoot me a note. And, and I'm, I'm always happy to have conversations. I mean, I think, you know, you and I have known each other a long time. It's if you can kind of take the benefits that you have at this stage in your career and, and, and make those benefits available to someone who's, who's looking to put the work and the effort in, I'm, I'm always happy to, to help in that regard. I love it. Like I say, I, I'd love to help those that want to be helped. Um, great stuff, Tim. Appreciate your time. Uh, great insights. Again, for those that have been talking to me, I've been talking to about sports marketing careers. Uh, here, here you have it. You've got somebody to contact, uh, even if just to ask questions more about a path to a sports marketing career. So Tim, thanks a lot for your time. Best of luck uh, with all things NASCAR. Thanks, sir. Okay. Big thank you to Tim Clark for joining me on this episode. I'll say it again. For anyone seeking a marketing role in sports, you now have a connection. So take your shot. Check the show notes for ways to connect with Tim and to find a link for all the opening marketing roles at NASCAR. Now, my biggest takeaway was the importance of advocating for yourself, not self-promoting, big difference. And the concept Tim talked about where you're always auditioning for your next role. Now, think about that. Is your LinkedIn profile sending the right signals right now if you're a marketer looking for the next role? Now, if you want help with that or to review your resume, go to themarketinghelp.co forward slash membership to get connected with myself or other mentors on the Marketing Help platform. Now, remember, this is your host, Eric Harvison, reminding you, hey, how about another marketer by leaving a rating and review wherever you access your favorite podcast?